God's people said, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, and thank you, team. Wow. Before I bring the message uh, this morning, a couple of things I want to kind of share with you, something I mentioned last week. Uh, I mentioned that because so many people who come and they're permanent visitors, and in my experience, that's what you call green card holders, (laughs) but we want you to have a passport. We want you to become a citizen. We want to become a member of this church. And so, to make it easier for you, for those who cannot come successive Sundays for the class, we're now having a one lunchtime next Sunday, one lunchtime, introduce you to apostles. So if you haven't signed up, there are many people who have, and if you haven't signed up yet, sign up today or call or get online. Either way, uh, come to lunch, and I think the nursery is provided up to five years of age. No? Twelve years of age. Thank you, Mike. I tell, without him, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so please, if you haven't signed up, you want to come and know all about apostles, I'll be with the team there presenting. Um, the, we're not going to talk about the history, but we're going to be talking about the future and the vision for the future. The second thing I want to say this morning, I have very dear friends who are visiting with us whose partnership in the United Kingdom has been uniquely blessed of God for leading the way, and we are, uh, I am blessed by their friendship. The Schmidt family went from South Africa, with huge film production, to leading TBN UK. And this is when we partnered with TBN UK and gave leading the way a huge uh, footprint in England. We've been on radio for many years, but TBN and the generosity of Leon Schmidt really being a blessing. And he moved to Atlanta now. The family moved to Atlanta. And if I tell you this God-sized vision that God has given him and why he's in Atlanta, you will not believe me because it will transform television as we know it. And so he has all my prayers. Schmidt family, would you please stand up and let's welcome you in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that you do speak to us with great visions, and I thank you for raising up people uh, like uh, Leon Schmidt and his family to have big vision because we have a big God. And Lord, I pray this morning that you will elevate our sights, elevate our vision, that we will see that great God with whom one day we'll be and celebrate His presence in person. In Jesus' name, amen. In the past 30 or 40 years, there has been uh, a number of people who claim that they have died and went to heaven and then came back. Uh, I think you know what I'm talking about. And of course, with this kind of claim, they wrote books, they made a ton of money, and got media exposure. And uh, in my personal judgment, Mostly that's fraud, Uh, except one person actually confessed it. (laughs) One person came clean, and he said all the stuff that he said in that book was all made up. Um, It's absolutely astounding to me, and I'm sure it is to many of you, if not most of you, that these dear people are willing to hear and believe 
uh, this, these pretenders are not willing to believe in the one and only true Son of God, divine Son of God, who actually rose from the dead. It's astounding to me. They can follow these people and read their books by the millions, but they do not believe the one who rose from the dead after three days, not just a couple of minutes or a few minutes. And that is why the story that Jesus tells is of vital importance. Listen carefully. Jesus, who coexisted with the Father before all worlds, Jesus, who is a member of the Holy Trinity from before the foundation of the earth, He tells something that has actually taken place, something that has happened, obviously is in the Old Testament because that was before His death and resurrection. Jesus, who alone knows the realm of the spirits and what goes on on the other side of the curtain, tells this story about two men, the real men, this is not a parable, two men, one was rich but lived a self-centered life, and one was poor and yet was righteous. They both died, and they each went to one of the two locations. Make no mistake about it. There are only two locations in which everyone is going to end up, either heaven or hell. Now, i got news for you. If hell does not absolutely disturb your sleep and makes you work day and night to see that people not go there, there's something wrong about your salvation. Can I get an amen? When the man who lived for self this whole time, gets into hell for just a few seconds. As I often used to say, two minutes in hell turned him into an evangelist. And he immediately turned to Abraham and he said, Father Abraham, get Lazarus to rise from the dead because I want him to go back and warn my family so they don't end up in this place of torment, pain, and suffering. Then came the answer, son, If they're not going to believe the Bible, if they're not going to believe the Word of God, even if someone rises from the dead, they will not believe. And that explained why these people are ready to go after these people, not to believe in God, but they're just out of fascination. And that is why 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a vitally important chapter and is written for the believers. Now, if you're visiting with us, This is the second from the last in a long series of messages we started back in January from 1 Corinthians. Healthy living, healthy spiritual living in a dying and sick world. Here in this long chapter, one of the longest chapters in the Bible, the Apostle Paul gives us six things that every believer in Jesus needs to know one second after you die. He gives us six things that everyone must know. Even if you're not a believer, you need to know what the believers are going to experience. And I pray to God that this may be an incentive for you to become a believer in Jesus today. A few months ago, I was speaking to one of my non-believing neighbors, and, and I, said to them, I said to him, I said, look, eternity is a long, long, long time. You need to decide where you're going to spend it. Last time I saw him, he said, I'm thinking. I said, don't think too long now. (laughs) But as I said earlier, 
This is a message that is for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who know the Lord Jesus, but somehow are going through doubt about their eternity, or going through doubt about what will happen to them after death, if they are fearing what comes after death. And here are the six things I want to share with you very quickly. And by the way, if you want to follow this, as I said, it's a long chapter, but follow it with me in the Pew Bible. If you don't have your Bible app on your iPhone or iPad, I want you to follow in the Pew Bible, page 1789. Grab one from front of you, behind you. 1789. Here we go. The first thing Paul tells us in verses 1 to 11, that Christ's resurrection from the dead is the only true resurrection, verses 1 to 11. Secondly, he tells us that only the believers in Jesus Christ will be resurrected like Jesus, verses 12 to 19. Thirdly, he says, all true believers live between two Easter's, and I'm going to explain that in a minute, verses 20 to 28. Fourthly, this life is a dress rehearsal for the real life that is to come. This is a dress rehearsal. It is what you practice in this life is what you experience in the real life. Five, in verses 35 to 49, there will be a body exchange. We'll explain that in a minute. 6, verses 50 to 58, you can live the resurrected life here and now in this life. Uh, thank you. He said, I'm in for all of us. Look at this with me very quickly. Christ's resurrection is the first true resurrection. What does that mean? The resurrection of Jesus Christ after three days in the grave is the absolute foundation of the Christian faith. Without it, Christianity would be just another dead religion. Without it, Christianity is just another philosophy of life. Without it, Christianity is not worth a half a hallelujah. And yet, some church leaders in the mainland denominations and now in the evangelical church saying, only Jesus' influence has arose from the dead. Only Jesus rose in our hearts, or that His Spirit rose from the dead. Hear me right, please. No one, no one, no one can claim to be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ and would deny the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, I was thinking about how today, increasingly, the younger generation, the children, don't even know what Easter is. And then I uh, read the story about one of the great theologians of our time, uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks from Dallas Seminary. Uh, he went to son his grandson's Sunday school class. And then he asked the kids, he said, do you know what the Easter is? Well, one kid raised his hand and he said, yes. He said, mom cooks and cooks and cooks and prepares a turkey. And Dr. Hendricks said, no, no, that, that's Thanksgiving. And another kid said, well, we get presents, and uh, we eat cookies. And he said, no, 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 that's Christmas. And then his grandson raised his hand. 
So he, oh, Papa, my goodness, I, I know what that feels like. I mean, he was puffed. He said, my, my grandson, he's going to get it right. So he um, asked him, he said, go ahead and tell me. And his grandson said the following, Easter is when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And Dr. Hendricks, of course, you know, pumping his chest, that's my grandson. And he was so proud of his grandson right until the boy continued. <laughs> he said, every spring he comes out of the grave, and if he sees his shadow, it means <laughs> that we have six more weeks of winter. <laughs> that deflated Dr. Hendricks. <laughs> and beloved, that is why the Apostle Paul making absolute sure that we understand of the evidence of the resurrection, that these evidence are indisputable, that there were 500 eyewitnesses, that lives even of His disciples and of others totally, completely transformed, that these disciples and these followers and those eyewitnesses were very happy and glad to die for Jesus. After that is due to the fact that they saw Him risen from the dead. Now, here's what I need you to focus with me on, because the, the Corinthians were really not doubting the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to explain to you why he said these things in chapter 15. They were not doubting the resurrection of Jesus. They were doubting their own resurrection. And I'm going to show you why their culture has influenced their thinking. They were not doubting the resurrection. They were doubting their own resurrection. And that is why the Apostle Paul ties the resurrection of Jesus with our own resurrection. You see, they say, oh, yeah, he's a divine son of God. He rose from the dead, but I'm not sure about our own. <laughs> and Paul said, the two go together. Why? Because if they get the resurrection of Jesus right, uh, they will get their own resurrection right. Uh, if they comprehended uh, our own resurrection to be inexorably linked with the resurrection of Jesus, if they understood that the resurrection of Jesus and our own resurrection are strongly and irrevocably linked, if they understand that Jesus is the first one to rise from the dead and never, never, never to die again, then they will understand their own resurrection. Make no mistake about it. Even when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, a few years later, Lazarus died. When Jesus raised the, uh, the son of the widow of Nain from the dead, that young boy grew up and died. But only Jesus had a true resurrection because He rose never to die again. Secondly, only believers in Jesus will be resurrected like Jesus. Look at verses 12 to 19. God is saying to us that because Jesus rose from the dead, everyone who placed his or her faith and hope in Jesus alone will be raised from the dead too, just like Jesus. 
Jesus' resurrection and the believer's resurrection should go to stand together or fall together. You cannot have one without the other. Can I get an amen? amen. Some time ago, Oprah Winfrey promoted a man into the public eye who claimed that he can contact the dead. I remember to my shame watching one of those episodes, but I really wanted to watch it. It was heartbreaking for me to watch these dear people so anxious and in tears, want to know what happened to the loved ones, and this charlatan was claiming that he's talking to them, and he was just demon-possessed who knew what happened in the past. Heartbreaking for me that they are willing to trust in this charlatan, but not in the Son of God who truly and only rose from the dead never to die again. Something else that you need to know that the Apostle Paul is dealing with here, unless you know the, the history and the culture, you wouldn't understand it. But this is important because in 1 Corinthians 15, he's dealing with the impact of culture upon the church. And beloved, we see it today. The culture is impacting the church instead of the church impacting the culture. In the first century Greek culture, the Greeks refused to believe in the resurrection of the body. Why? Because they saw the body as evil. Only the soul is good. And therefore, they did not want that soul or spirit to be enclosed in another body. And so they impacted the thinking of the church. The culture of that day believed that the body is a prison cell, and the soul is imprisoned by that body. And the soul is longing to be set free from that evil body uh, and from that prison cell. Now, beloved, listen to me. This is very similar to the false argument of these merchants of confusion in our, for, in our children's schools and in many public lives and even in some churches when they're telling children that they are imprisoned in the wrong body, that a boy is imprisoned in a girl's body and a girl is imprisoned in a boy's body. That is absolutely a lie coming out of the pit of hell. Amen. This militant fascist that begin to, to, tell, to, to tell our kids and confuse our kids are impacting many circles in our society. And believers in Jesus must never, never, never entertain that thought. Why? Because our bodies are created by God just for us individually, and He will raise us to eternal life either in heaven or hell. The Bible says, he created the male and female. And listen to me, there is no sex change that's ever going to change that. Back to Corinthians. And so Paul is teaching that the believers will have a new body, resurrected body. And this was unthinkable to the Greek culture that impacted the Corinthian church. The Corinthian believers we're willing to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. 
they say, because he is divine Son of God, but not the Christian believer. And Paul literally, in, in this section here, he socks it to them. You've got to understand the original. I mean, he's socking it to them hard. <laughs> he's saying, if we do not rise from the dead, Jesus was not raised from the dead. And if Jesus was not raised from the dead, the gospel is preached to you in vain, and your faith in Christ is worthless. And all of those hundreds of thousands, the hundreds of people who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection, they're all liars. Not only that, but it means that sin is not defeated, that death is not conquered, that sin is, is a, a victory over sin is impossible, that all the dead believers have believed in vain. Thirdly, verses 20 to 28, the believers in Jesus live between two Easter's, two Easter's. The first Easter was the day of Jesus' own resurrection, physical resurrection, bodily resurrection out of the grave. The second Easter is the day when we're going to be appearing in our resurrected bodies. Question, what does Paul mean by Jesus is the first fruit? What is the first fruit? You've got to understand a practice that was practiced throughout the Old Testament to understand what it means, why Jesus is the first fruit of those who rose from the dead, verses 20, 28. The first Easter was the first fruit. The second Easter is going to be the harvest. Now, the Jews in the Old Testament, they were agrarian society. So what do they do when they see the harvest is ready to be harvested? They take a sample, almost 10% of what the harvest will be, and they will take that ripened fruit, and they'll bring it to the priest in the, in the temple, and they present it as the first fruit. It's the first fruit. Until that is offered to God, they cannot go back and harvest their crop. And that is why I tell people we must always give, and I'm going to say more about this in chapter 16. You give of the first fruit, not what left over, because nothing will be left over. But when you give the first fruit, God will bless the leftover. Amen? The same thing happens with the resurrection. The first fruit is Christ's resurrection. That is the first installment. And therefore, our own resurrection is going to be the harvest. Listen to me. There was time when you were not, but there will never be a time when you will not be. Everyone is going to live eternally. The question is, where will you live it? Where would you live it? Can only two locations. Verse 22, he said, Adam was the first fruit of physical creation. Adam was the first fruit of sin and disobedience. Adam was the first fruit of physical death. And the harvest of that crop is our pain and our sorrow, our sin, our grief, our tears, our death. All humanity participated in that harvest. The first fruit was Adam's death and disobedience. But only those who are in Christ Jesus will participate in the resurrection of the believers. 
Now I need to make this very clear. Listen carefully. All of humanity became infected with Adam's sin. But only those who belong to Jesus Christ will receive the antidote to that infection. All of humanity caught the bug of death when Adam blew it in the garden. But only those who are in Christ Jesus will have the cure from that eternal death. Oh, listen, I understand. It doesn't look like it now. I know that. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it because everybody dies. But listen to me, verses 24, 28. God's Word says, the day is coming when Jesus visibly, before all worlds, before all those who have ever lived, is going to put His enemies in subjection to Him. Today, uh, they use Jesus as a swear word, <laughs> but then they will bow to Him. Today, Jesus' name is forbidden from mention in public, but then those who have rejected Him are going to weep blood, and they mourn and wail over what they've done. Today, we, 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 maybe in, in polite companies, we don't talk about Jesus. But then, the day is coming uh, when we, all of eternity was spent. Uh, they will spend it in sorrow. They will spend it in remorse, but to no, no avail. Fourthly, this life for the believer is a mere dress rehearsal. You know those who are involved in acting, they do a lot of rehearsals, but then the night before they do the dress rehearsal. They, they rehearse in all the regalia, all the costumes. And this is what this life is. It's a dress rehearsal. Hear me right, please. During Jesus' earthly ministry, there was a, a Jewish sect did not believe in the resurrection. Now, most of the Pharisees and all the others believed in the resurrection of the body. But this particular sect called the Sadducees, and if you want to really remember the names, call them, they are sad, you see. <laughs> you say it with me. They are sad, you see. Say it with me. That's because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And here's what Jesus said to them. You neither understand the Scripture nor the power of God. Why? Because, beloved, listen to me, right doctrine produces right living. Uh, right belief produces moral behavior. Uh, biblical knowledge produces power for living. And when the truth is denied, listen to me, when the truth is denied, moral disintegration follows. Do I need to illustrate that? Just look around you. When the truth is denied, moral disintegration follows. Look at verses 29 to 34. Paul is telling us that if you remove the resurrection, if you deny this fundamental foundational truth of a God's redemption, if you doubt your eternal future, if you fear what is beyond the grave, you will not only live a powerless life, but you will live a messed up life. Why? Because if you see this life as a mere dress rehearsal to the next one, the real one, this one is so short in comparison to eternity, then you are going to live on top of the world in this one. If you see it as a dress rehearsal, you're going to live on top of the world. Oh, listen, I understand. I've experienced it. You have too. Uh, difficulties we may face, pain that we go through, suffering uh, that we may experience. 
And no matter how many people reject us or deny the faith, no matter what happens, we are on top of the world. Why? Because this life is a mere preparation for the next one. I know I talk, I talk about this uh, sometimes my wife said, well, you need to stop talking about it, your eternal home and heaven and destiny. Let's just think of me. I said, honey, <laughs> you need to talk about it too. <laughs> I think all the believers need to talk about it. I know I'm not going to get too many amens because we're infected by this world culture. My longing for my eternal home is intensifying every single day. I'm absolutely convinced that if the believers, listen to me, believers, if the believers would openly and freely talk about their assurance of heaven, we will impact our culture. The problem is that so many believers express pessimism and fear and superstition about this, just like the non-believers. Instead of rejoicing every day because we are one day closer to our eternal home, we look like we have been baptized in vinegar. Who wants that? Every day that passes, we are closer to going home. This is not our home. When we do that, then we're not going to fret and worry and live with anxiety. I quoted C.S. Lewis many times when people used to talk about, oh, he's so heavenly-minded. These of no earthly good, he said, only those who are heavenly minded were of any earthly good. Listen, I know of a godly woman who constantly talked about her eternal home to her non believing children until she really made them mad. <laughs> she always talked about heaven. She always talked about home. But she never gave up, even though when they rejected her, her message. But at her funeral, every one of her children gave the love to Christ. Don't underestimate the assurance of heaven for the believer. And don't be ashamed of talking about it openly. Beloved, our own resurrection is one of the greatest assurance that God gives us. And He gives it to all of His children who have placed their faith in Him. There may be somebody here watching around the world, and now we've got millions of people watching on Kingdom Sat because this is alive going into millions of homes in the Arab world, whether it be here in this sanctuary or those who are watching around the world. There may be someone who may believe that Jesus is their Savior, but they fear their physical death. Listen to me, sir, madam. <laughs> This fear is directly from Satan. It's not from God. Now, can I get the believers who believe this say amen? amen. Well, some of you do, particularly on this side. Somehow on this side, nobody believes that. You don't believe that? Okay. Listen. The only reason you would fear is because you're not walking with the Lord. That's only the, the only reason. And you need to shake off that fear today. Today you can start seeing this life as a mere dress rehearsal for the one to come. Today you can begin to look forward to your eternal home. Today you can begin preparation for that eternal home. Today you may need to rewrite your earthly will to reflect your anticipation of your heavenly inheritance. Verses 30 
31 and 32, because of that absolute assurance of our own resurrection. The Apostle Paul said he endured hardship, he endured suffering, he endured sacrificing, he endured fighting lions in Ephesus. (laughs) Listen to me. The one and only thing that makes you willing to suffer abuse, ridicule, insult, hardship is the knowledge that this life is only a what? Come on now. Is what? Now, beloved, listen, listen. There is not a week that passes by, probably somebody shows me, will tell me about uh, being attacked in the media, and the social media, on the internet, and all that stuff, and people attacking me about my worldview, and about my, my, my biblical views, and certainly the, about my strong stand for biblical truth. Do you think that troubles me? Not on your life. The truth is, only emboldens me to want to live for Christ and preach His Word unashamedly, unabashedly. Fifthly, verses 35 to 49, there will be what I call a great body exchange. A great body exchange. Verse 35, but some may ask, how are the dead bodies raised? And with what kind of body they will come? (laughs) Thank God I don't have to give the answer. The answer is here, verses 36 all the way on to 49. Paul clearly answered this question. It is like a planting of a seed. You put that seed in the ground, it dissolves in the ground, and in its place there is a whole lot of grain comes up. The same God who is involved in the process of planting and harvesting of the grain is the same God who is involved in the process of our bodily death and resurrection. When He spoke of His own body, In John chapter 12, verse 24, the Lord Jesus said, unless the grain gets into the ground and decomposes, it cannot come again into new life. Hear me right, please. When Jesus was crucified and died on that cross, and then He was buried, His physical body ceased to exist. His physical body, with which He lived for 33 and one-third of a year cease to exist. Ah, but a new body supernaturally provided to him by the Father, a resurrected body came to to its place. Jesus' glorified body was so radically different from his uh, uh, earthly body, so much so that if you remember, the disciples from Emmaus did not recognize him first, and they did later. His glorified body was no longer limited by time and space and, 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 and natural substance. His resurrected body was radically different, and so will be the resurrected body of every single believer. Listen. While the seed may radically be changed. Listen carefully. This is important because I know this is a question on the mind of many people. I've been asked many, many, many times. While the seed may radically be changed when it is when, when it's planted in the ground, and, 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 and when our bodies uh, would disintegrate, but a new plant is going to come. What is that? It's going to be you 
and you and me. It's not going to be a different person. It's going to be a different body, but not a different person. Well, think about this with me, okay? Think about this. When you plant cotton, what do you expect? Wheat? No. When you plant corn, what do you get? Expect barley? No. If you plant cotton, you get cotton. If you plant wheat, you get wheat. If you plant corn, you get corn. In the same way, our resurrected body may be radically different, but our identity will be the same. Oh, we're going to recognize each other. (laughs) We're going to recognize our loved ones. Isn't that a cause for rejoicing? Isn't that a cause for rejoicing? And so after His resurrection, the Lord Jesus Christ was the same Jesus, but was radically different body. We will only exchange bodies. That's what's going to happen. We're going to exchange bodies. But we're not going to exchange who we are. Who we are is still going to stay the same. We will have a glorified body. We will have a perfect body. Uh, We will not cease to be who we are, but we will have a supernatural body, just like Jesus after the resurrection. That is, beloved, what I call the great body exchange. Are you ready for it? Look at verses 42 to 44. We will say goodbye to this body, this diseased body, and receive the undefiled body. We will exchange a decaying body for an eternal enduring body. We will exchange a body that is capable of dishonoring the Lord for a body that will honor Him all the time. We will exchange a body that is weak in resisting temptation, that is weak in resisting sin, that is weak in resisting diseases and brokenness for a body that is immune from temptation, sickness, sin, disease, and pain. We will exchange our natural bodies for supernatural bodies. Now, amen belongs here. People now on the social media now they're saying, as Michael Yusuf said, Amen belongs here. <laughs> as far away as India, somebody was quoting saying, Amen belongs here. <laughs> My beloved, I cannot wait for the exchange to take place. And it happens the moment you close your eyes in death. You go from the tent to the mansion. Hello? (laughs) And that is why the Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonians, he said, when a believer dies, we do not sorrow like non-believers who have no hope. Why? Because it's only temporary goodbye. It's only temporary goodbye. It's in my will that when the Lord takes me home, I want this church to have the biggest celebration they've ever had. Because that's what I'll be doing. Hello? I know some of you are uncomfortable about this. I wish you'd get over your shyness. (laughs) Number six, verses 50 to 58. As a matter of fact, verse 58, one of those verses that I often quote when I'm autographic books, be immovable, steadfast, 50 to 58. Someone wrote the following, so let me read it so I don't mess it up. 
there's a preacher of the old school, but he speaks as boldly as ever. Now, he's not talking about me. (laughs) He is not popular, though the world is his parish. And he travels every part of the world. He speaks every language, and he visits the poor, and he calls upon the rich. He preaches to people of every religion and of no religion at all. And the subject of his sermon is always the same. It's always the same. Oh, he's an eloquent preacher. Often he stirs feelings which no other preacher could. He brings tears to eyes that never weep. His arguments, none able to refute. Nor is there any heart that has remained unmoved by the force of his appeal. He shatters lives with his message. Most people hate him. Everyone fear him. His name is Death. Every tombstone is his pulpit, and every newspaper prints his text. And someday, every one of you will be his sermon. Now, I don't know about you, how you react to something like this. Only you know that. I don't know how you respond to something like this. Do you see it as morbid? Ah, something you want to avoid talking about. Don't, don't mention it. It's not good to talk about it. You see it as... You never bring it up in polite company, that's for sure. Then you have a problem. You have a problem believing the resurrection of our bodies. And my friend, if that is the case, I'm going to plead with you. Take care of that today. Take care of that today. Do not come to the Lord's table without taking care of that. Even if you walk down this aisle, say, Lord, I don't know why I'm fearing something that is so wonderful that you have in store for me, and whether it will be today or a hundred years from now, it doesn't matter. If you really believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you should be able to look at death in the eye and say, come on, death, make my day, for you will give me an opportunity to receive my glorified body. You will give me an opportunity to see my Lord and my loved ones. You will give me an opportunity to show you that you are no longer master over me. Um, You might think that you have destroyed family relationship. You might think that you have a broken family love. You might think that you can bring grief to my loved ones. But, oh, death, you cannot torment me anymore because Jesus broke your sting. Jesus destroyed your power. Jesus had rendered you toothless. He declawed you, He defanged you, and He disarmed you and destroyed you. And because of this, I will stand firm. I will be immovable. I will be steadfast. It will always be because I know that my toil and my labor for the Lord is not in vain.
I always write that verse because I know, particularly when I'm autographing books to pastors, so many of them are discouraged. And I tell them, you know, when you do somebody a favor, they might forget about it. They might even not remember it. And they might never thank you. Well, let me tell you something about Jesus. He said, even a glass of cold water, he's not going to forget. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Will you stand up and pray with me? If you're a person who have never committed your life to Jesus Christ and you're living your life in fear of death, you can do something very simple today. So, Lord Jesus Christ, I receive you as the Savior and Lord of my life. I repent of my sins. Forgive me for Jesus' sake. And if you're a believer who have been walking with God, but you're living in fear, and just like the rest of the world, and you're not any different from them, and you're fearing death, and you're fearing that, and you're living in terror and anxiety and worry, so Lord Jesus Christ, wash it all away. Help me to live for you. For Father, that is the prayer of my heart, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's remain standing.